My name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. Everybody, this is Ricky Day, and uh, welcome to another episode of Nothing to Lose But Yourself. It's a little podcast that uh, attempts to change this world one conversation at a time. You know, I love my little theme music. I really do. I got lucky when I found that one. I like it a lot. I wish, I wish that I could license a Lil Nas X song because uh, Montero dropped today, and it's beautiful, dope pop music by a young brother who is very much free. Free, 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 free as free can be. And uh, like him or not, love him or hate him, uh, if nothing else, I think everybody should probably appreciate the level of self-love and freedom that exists in that young brother. Everybody should uh, should be capable of doing just that. Once again, my name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. We are off to a great start here in season two. I'm so grateful that you guys tune in to listen, that you're downloading, subscribing, sharing it with your friends and your family and your network. Yo, y'all are, y'all are making this work, and I really appreciate you. And I've got some some prizes coming up in the next couple of weeks that I'll share. But uh, I really appreciate you guys, and I just wanted to stress that. Uh, also, do me a favor, follow the podcast on social media. It's nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram as well as Twitter. And then, of course, my own personal social media is Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y on Instagram and Twitter. Well, today's guest is an old friend. <laughs> She's going to kill me for that. But now today's guest is a life coach. She's a mother. She's a wife. She's amazing. And she's going to come here and talk about her new book. She's going to talk about life coaching. And hopefully she's going to give you guys the tools to be able to fix your lives right on up and change your world. Uh, one life coaching session at a time. Who am I talking about? Her name is Yvonne Victor. Yvonne and I have known each other for quite some time. But you'll find out more about that when we get into the conversation. So, you know how it works. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, sit back relax grab that cup of coffee that glass of wine that herbal refreshment or if you're driving grip that steering wheel and pay attention to where you're headed because we want you to get there safely but whatever you're doing y'all sit back relax and enjoy my conversation with yvonne victor Well, my guest today is Yvonne Victor. Uh, Yvonne is a native of South Central Los Angeles and a current resident of the great state of North Carolina, Raleigh-Durham area to be precise. Uh, Yvonne is a certified uh, life coach and business coach who has 30 plus years of experience in corporate administration, as well as in her role as a trained community advocate and peacekeeper. Uh, her commitment to helping others champion their life is reflected in the passion that she brings into the coaching relationship. But Yvonne is also much more than her professional pursuit. She's a wife. She's a sister, a daughter, and the mother of two amazing adult children. I'm also excited to welcome to this podcast a dynamic sister, a good friend, and an old classmate of mine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> boys and girls, those in between and with different genders, everybody, welcome Yvonne. Everybody, Victor, everybody welcome Yvonne Victor to the podcast. Hey, Yvonne, how are you? Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Um, 
I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation. Well, I'm excited <laughs> as well, and I'm excited to have you. Uh, not only are you a, a good friend with lots to say, but you're engaged in, I think, an empowering and impactful profession, and we want to unpack some of that. Uh, but also, I, I, I feel like I kind of, on some level, I owe you, because she's also, I didn't mention this in her introduction, but she, apparently she's a prophetess, too. Because about three, four years ago, when I was producing another show called The Journey with Pastor Mike, Yvonne came to me and said, I had a vision, brother, and you are going to have your own talk show. And uh, I laughed in her face. And then, well, here we are. In my face. (laughs) Season two. I own it. I own it. I publicly, I publicly owned it. Listen, it is what it is. You were right, as women typically are. (laughs) And uh, I I thank you for it. But yeah, this is a blast. Uh, I'm doing what I was called to do. And we are touching lives and trying to make the world a little bit better place. uh, One conversation at a time. Yvonne, there is so much I want to dive into with you, but let's start with one basic question. Okay. What the hell is life coaching? And why should any of us care? <laughs> like, what, what does that even mean? I, <laughs> I'm, sus- I'm suspicious by nature. So I'm like, life coach? That sounds like a hustle. Like, tell me about life coaching. What does life coaching even right. mean? Right. So life coaching, short and simple, is a tool or resource um, in the, in the in the shape and form of a human being that will come along and help you get from point A to point B. That's the that's the short and skinny of it, right? It's been around for twenty to thirty years. It's just recently in the last, I would say, ten to fifteen years, kind of uh, coming to light in you know popular culture mm-hmm. uh, with people like Tony Robbins, Mel Robbins, you know, and, and the various other coaches, Iyanla Vazant. Want to give her props? Um, who who are coaching and basically. It is very similar to being an athletic coach, right? So an athletic coach will will see potential in you mm-hmm. and will help to hone that potential to greatness, right? Got it. Or to wherever it is you're, you're trying to get to or to be or to have, is what I say. And so I have the, the opportunity to uh, ride alongside individuals who are seeking to attain something, become something, or to have something. And help them to deep dive into, you know, exactly what it is that they want, why they want it, uh, create vision around it, set up a strategy and provide the accountability and the objectivity that they need to get them where they want to be. That's really coaching. Now, see, I'm sold already. Now I get it. And, you know, that that analogy to a coach in sports uh, makes sense to me. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, in our society, which is capitalist, of course, and focused on the material, obviously people will come to a life coach because they have some material and professional goals. But this really, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, this really speaks to any kinds of goals that you may have, whether they're personal goals in terms of relationships and life uh, or your business and professional goals. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. So in life coaching, um, I look at the life holistically because it is my belief. And I, as most life coaches, we look at it, we're more of generalists, I would say, mm-hmm. um, because you have various parts of your life, right? Life just isn't your career or life just isn't your relationships. It's your career, it's your relationships, your health, your spirituality. It's, you know, a, 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 a huge circle of things that you, that, that, how can I say, they all affect one another. Mm-hmm. So perfect example. Some people will come to me and go, I absolutely hate my job. I want out of my job. And I'm like, cool. All right. Let's talk about that. 
And when we talk and when we deep dive, you know, and I ask the questions that I ask people, it comes up maybe that they don't really dislike their job, but they're having problems at home with their marriage. Mm. You know, that's the root. I'm I'm so unhappy over here that now I'm unhappy in all these other parts, Uh. you know, and so that's that's part of the deep dive, you know, and 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 getting to what the issue really is mm-hmm. uh, that you can do with the coach, you know. And then once you figure out what it really is, it's like, do you really want to leave your job, you know? And it's like, no, I just wish that this was better. It's like, okay, well, then let's go work on this thing, you mm-hmm. know, and then that will resolve the other things. So it's kind of like an objective eye that an ear that can Very listen to so. and, and watch you now. And that's similar to therapy, but different. Kind of, can you explain for us what the differences are between therapy and and life yes. coaching? Yes, I'm happy you brought that up. That is a pet peeve of mine. First thing, as a life coach, I am not a therapist, and neither are any other life coaches, unless they have the credentials to be a therapist. So, in therapy, um, a therapist is able to and trained to and licensed to diagnose mental health illnesses and treat trauma. And, and, and things like that, right? That's, that's what they do. And in their work, they are treating those mental health issues by going back, by looking back at your past, what might have caused these things, type of organic, biological things that are going on with your life, you know, that may affect your mental health. And that is what they're doing. Coaches do not do that. They do not do that. Although we will dip into you know, parts of your past mm-hmm. to see if there are any blocks that may be keeping you from realizing what you want to realize. We don't deep dive in those areas. And I am, I will be the first to raise my hand if I feel that you need uh, perhaps the expertise of a mental health practitioner to suggest that you do that and in counseling, in coaching, pardon me, which is what should happen. Mm-hmm. A coach uh, starts when you are, when that part of you is resolved, you know, we, we start from right here, and we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I'm not here to talk about what happened between you and your daddy and your mama or, you know, how the kids bullied you in school. That's that's not my expertise. That's not what I'm here to do. But I can, when you have that resolved, if you're ready to move on forward, I can take you there. I am that part of the journey. Great. That's, that's important information. And I, I think mm-hmm. it's critical because for me, as I was reading your book, which I, I found wonderful, by the way, um, and we'll Thank talk you. about that in a moment. But, I, you know, I found that these lines could be blurred a little bit between coaching and, and therapy. Yes. And then what I'm able to actually do, which is uh, faith based uh, Christian counseling, which is actually exactly. related to both, but different. Yes. Um, before we get into too much of a more deep conversation about life coaching, uh, you guys can't hear, you can't see her necessarily. I think we're going to do some episodes live and we're going to put some things on video later in this season and start to roll these out. But most people will experience this, this in audio. So you guys can't see this beautiful put together sister sitting in front of me that's allegedly in her 50s and nobody believes it. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but people tend to get uncomfortable getting advice from who they perceive as perfect people. Right. And we all know better. There's no such thing as perfect people. But when you're in the midst of your own stuff, it's easy to look at other people and perceive them as perfect. And so because you and I know that's not true, I I just want to start with a basic conversation to get into your background a little bit. Give people a sense of who you are um, and, and, and how you ended up getting into life coaching. Now, 
Yvonne and I went to high school together. That's where all the old jokes come from. We went to high school together back with uh, Fred and Wilma Flintstone in the Stone Ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, before you I passed. high too, right? Huh? Didn't we go to junior high too together? No, no. I went to John Burroughs Junior High. And then oh, somehow okay. I got okay. into Palisades. There's a whole story about how I got into Palisades all right. High. But, so Yvonne and I went to high school together. Uh, let's just say the 80s. Let's just leave it there. Um, it's a good time. Yeah, it's a good time. It's before iPads, before iPhones, right. and before Some I became everybody's. Exactly. Some of the best music ever. <laughs> Absolutely. To this day. It's also yes. before uh, I became everybody's favorite way to start a sentence. So True. Um, we both grew up in South Central L.A. I know that. Uh, we both attended Palisades High School, which we just talked about. And neither one of us was born into wealth. But from there, I think it started to diverge a little bit. Our paths diverged. So, Yvonne, tell us a little bit about growing up in South Central and your family and your, and your background. I know you come from a big family. I know many members of your family. But let's talk about that a little bit so people have a perspective on who you are. I do. Okay. So, yeah, I grew up in South Central, South Los Angeles, whatever they're calling it these days. I grew up um, what is the area that's technically known as the east side. So the east side has always been the other side of the tracks, mm-hmm. even when even when the border of South Central was moved during the Rodney King riots. You know, it was moved west to include areas that were never thought of of South Central. So I lived in a working class, poor neighborhood. My father was a bottler with Coca-Cola for like 25 years. My mom was at one point a stay-at-home mom because there were a trillion kids. She um, she um, then moved and worked at my elementary school in various positions there for the rest of her career and started a career doing that. But our family was like a, a conglomerate of people. So to start off, my immediate family, my brothers and sisters, there were five children that my mother had. Right. Then I had another sister from my father's previous marriage. Both of them were married before. So we had a yours, mine and ours kind mm-hmm. of immediate circle. Then we had cousins who lived out in Bakersfield area, their um, mom and dad, I believe they died pretty close to one another. So they became orphaned five of them. So then they had to come live with us. And then my uh, mom helped to raise her sister's first child. So they came to live with us. And then there were additional kids that came along. My nephew, my sister had my nephew when she was 17. So then that made, you know, a six, a six child in our house. And, and, you know, I mean, we made it. I mean, we ate and had things, but we, we weren't living in the lap, so lap of luxury at all. You know, we were, this was the, you got one or two school outfits. My mother and uh, grandmother sold everything that we wore. They were, they were uh, couture seamstresses. And so, you know, I, I lost, wish I could get them. The I lost that. track. How many kids is that? That's like 11. Woo! At, let's start. It's 11 at one point. Mm-hmm. It's 11 at one point. Then it, then I think it adds 11, 12, 13, and 14. It ends up at some point being like 14 children between two households. So my grandmother lived in the front house, the main house, during the war, um, I believe World War II. They built a second house in the back, which was basically just a single, a garage, and a one-bedroom apartment on top. I lived in the one-bedroom apartment Mm -hmm. with my siblings and parents. Um, The other five lived downstairs in the single and the other one lived in the front house with my grandmother, who at the time my aunt lived there or my uncle lived there or somebody was always living there. Right. So it's a whole lot of people on one plot of land mm-hmm. and, you know, with very limited resources that we're, we're just trying to share, you know. And so, you know, it's rough. It's tough. And not to say it was the 70s, mm-hmm. which is, was a time where everything was changing. You know, you have 
you have um, um, the women's movement and sexual revolution and, you know, uh, African-Americans, you know, are, are coming to their own. Right. And, Black I mean, power. Everything, yeah, everything was in flux. Everything was in flux. And so here I am, a little blonde hair, green eye kid in the middle of South Central, you know, blonde hair, just getting kind of long. Blonde hair, green eye, black girl in South Central. And I'm sure somebody Tell along the, the line was going to question you about how black were you? <laughs> all the time. All mm-hmm. the time. So my elementary school, I just wrote about it. My elementary school went to 49th Street School. Props to 49th Street School. And when I went there, the principal, it's two principals. Um, at the time, it was Dr. David Bowick, who was an African-American uh, man. Um, he, I think he was there way before me. So my sisters had him. And um, Dr. Bowick's remit was that you were going to educate these African-American children, because it was predominantly African-American when I went, mm-hmm. you're going to educate them and you're going to instill pride in them. Now, the teaching staff was incredibly diverse, right? So I had teachers from everywhere, right? And they taught their cultures, but they kept that remit. They made sure that they instilled pride in us to, you know, that we were black and being proud of that and being proud of our heritage. And so most of the information I even had about you know, African-American culture came in elementary school, which mm. was which was pretty neat. I didn't get it again till college. I didn't get it again to college. But, um, you know, he was just really proud. And thank God I, I got that little bit. He they understood the dynamics of different things that were happening in the households of the kids who went to school there. They're very hands on with us. I mean, this was the times when our teachers would take us to the beach and stuff on the weekends, right. you know, and, we spend the night over their house and nothing crazy was going on. They were just like our, our, like our big sisters, you know, to mm-hmm. really just come and cause they were just that committed. They were really just that committed, but it was, it was a tough neighborhood. It was a tough neighborhood to grow up in. It was, you know, my own people unfortunately were tough on me. Sometimes my family suffered from all the other dysfunctions that happen when you live in a poor neighborhood, um, the drug revolution, uh, kind of, kind of drug infiltrate infiltration. Let's say that, mm-hmm. uh, started around what the eighties, um, my community was one of the hardest hits with the crack epidemic. Um, and, you know, we were in the midst of that. We were hit with that, too, personally, intimately, you right. know, with, a, with with addiction being an issue uh, that is kind of genetic in my family, with mm-hmm. certain mental health issues being kind of genetic in my family. So it, to say the least, it was it was it was pretty difficult. Yeah, it was say. it was tough because you had the trifecta, yeah. the, the the economic challenges, the drug, <clears throat> the drug thing that was going on in the 80s. And then, of course, the mental health. Um, <clears throat> and then Yvonne went to junior high school and we ended up meeting in high school. And we both attended uh, Palisades High School in uh, Pacific Palisades, yeah. California. Uh, I was part of the uh, Permits with Transportation program. Yeah. It was this voluntary busing program yeah. that we were both part of. And it took us out of our, our communities that we lived in and took us uh, to a whole different experience, a whole different community. Oh, wow, wasn't it? Uh, to go to school. It was great. I had a good time in high school. It was great. But we went to high school, uh, Pacific Palisades, which is a very wealthy part of Los Angeles County, uh, near the beach, near Malibu, lots of wealthy white folks and their mm-hmm. uh, parents who have made their fortunes in any number of industries. And then we had a lot of the uh, talented 10th black folks, the kids uh, of doctors and nurses. And then there was the Yvonne's and the Rickies who came from South Central and more humble uh Beginnings, yeah. but I, I mention all that not for nostalgia's sake, but to say that uh, Yvonne's maiden name is Napier, 
And when we met in school, it was Yvonne and her brother, who I quite often heard the other girls in school refer to as fine ass Philip Napier. (laughs) They still do. (laughs) (laughs) Light skin, green eyes, the whole thing. Wavy hair, the whole whole 80s thing. And, um, you know, you couldn't have told me that they weren't from that talented 10th, you know, offspring of talented 10th. But that wasn't the case. Tell me a little bit about that, how you were moving through school and and why you presented the people that you guys presented to us at school. Oh, my gosh. So that was an experience in itself, you know, that still continues to evolve, I think, you know, as I get older and and start to remember things or think of things or just kind of, you know, put things into perspective as from an adult from an adult perspective Mm now. But um you know, my my neighborhood school for me to leave elementary and go into was Carver Junior High School, and it would have been Jefferson High School. And uh, several of my teachers came to my mom at that time. It was like, she can't go there. I had been, you know, she can't go. She can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, those are kind of rough schools. My mom had been a graduate of Jefferson High School. Actually, she was their valedictorian in her year. And I believe went to UCLA for a year before she got married and left school to have babies and be a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, they were like, absolutely no way can she go there. And so they really introduced the PWT program to my mom as an option for me to leave the community and go, not just where I would also be safe, but I had been identified as academically gifted in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Um, and they knew that I needed somewhere that had more of a challenge that would be presented for me academically at those schools. And so I end up at Revere. Night and day, (laughs) night and day, you know, these are the neighborhoods my daddy used to take us for drives on drives in on Saturdays. Like we didn't have a lot of money. Right. So you got to you got to be creative about what you do. And we had one of those big um, white station wagons with the paneling on the side. Daddy would just on Saturdays just pile us all in the car, just like get in the car. You know, he pop his jazz on and his car full of kids and he would just drive to other neighbor. We would drive up to Beverly Hills. We would drive to the Palisades and Malibu and Redondo. At, you know, that was our beach and things like that. Even though we don't, didn't have a lot of money to do something, we like praying that daddy had enough money for gas, right? To get us back home. <laughs> but he wanted us to see that our current reality didn't, didn't have to be our forever reality. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first person who really taught me how to dream. You know, I yeah. dream bigger. Like, just because it looks like this right now, it doesn't have to always be this way. And he was a perfect example. My father came from um, uh, Simmons slash Freeman, West Virginia, which are uh, little coal mining towns off in the back, way, way, way in the back. He didn't have shoes till he went to high school in Columbus. So they moved till he was like 16, you know, and, um, and he went through the depression in this area. So he, you know, you know, used to be in soup lines and things like that to get fed and, and just a, a very difficult um, beginning. So they went from West Virginia. They migrated to Columbus, Ohio. Um, Daddy just always wanted better. He just he just I think part of it was the shame he felt uh, about his 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 beginnings, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so he was always trying to eliminate that shame. So you see pictures of daddy in high school and his friends are dressed like normal, you know, high schoolers did that time. And daddy was wearing Brooks brother suits with a pipe and a, and a, and a brim. Right. And so, and then, um, he, uh, for a time, I think he got married to my aunt Betty and had my sister, had my brother. Um, I think this is a perfect time to think of it. His first child died of polio. 
Mm. at about two or three. And that kind of sent him into a spiral, into his own addiction uh, things. Moved to moved to to Brooklyn to follow the Dodgers. He was a big Dodger fan. Yes. So he did live in Brooklyn as for a while. I. I'm a Dodger Following fan as Dodgers. well. Yes, yes. And then when they left, he left. So, <laughs> so and then he ended up in Los Angeles. But yeah, just that whole different thing. I mean, I was like living in two worlds. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we had this very you know magical experience going on going to school in Brentwood, going to school in the Palisades, going to school with kids who were so wealthy, had so much opportunity or just how their families function or how I thought their families functioned at the time. That right. Part. And as well as the African-American students who went there, who we were friends with. I mean, who lived in Windsor Hills, Latera Heights, Baldwin Hills, you know, this this 10 percent you talk about. They they weren't a part of my world either. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so we got to spend, what, almost a solid eight hours yeah. in this utopia, only to get on the bus and be the last one on that bus ride. You know, we, I'm the last couple of stops on the bus ride back home and to get dropped off. And immediately you're in a, you know, another world completely where there is, you know, where there was wealth, there is lack now. Right. You know, where there was peace, there is chaos. And it was just, it's almost like being two different people mm-hmm. every day, every day of my life, you know? And so it was, it was, it was good to have the experience to go there, you know, and to relish in these particular uh, resources that weren't available to me in my own community. Um, but it was, it was difficult at times to go back and forth, go back and forth. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, you know, and I think we are also, we're both from families that, uh, honored and treasured our blackness. And so we were never ashamed yes. of, of being African-American, yes. never ashamed of being black. Right. We loved that about who we were, but the yes. circumstances in which we were living were definitely difficult. I mean, I remember helicopters, ghetto birds, as we used to call them, flying over my neighborhood yeah. uh, on a constant basis. And it was a blessing to be able to go somewhere where we can get a great education and be challenged and yes. be able to dream. Uh, but it also is difficult as young people seeing these two different realities and you, you will have one you aspire to or at least parts of it because I never wanted to be anything other but black but I did want to have more resources and more opportunities and then you've got the people in your own neighborhood are kind of looking at you like well who do you think you are you can't go to school with us and it's just it's just so much uh to unpack as as young as young black kids um uh, traversing all those different barriers especially at that age like you can't you know this whole thing of, of, you know, I speak the King's English and so I, therefore I speak white. Right. You know, that you had to deal with or, or that, uh, um, you know, that wealth or education or intellect or whatever is always associated with whiteness. And so when you came back to your neighborhood, it was, oh, you're trying to be white. And I never felt that way. I mean, just right. like you, I was like, I'm African-American. Every day I look in the mirror, doesn't matter how, how light I am, I'm black. Mm-hmm. I'm black, I'm black, I'm black. And I'm proud to be that, you know, having come from, from that, that core that was set in me in elementary school, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was my, look, let me tell you, Dr. Bowick, we had Monday morning assemblies, right, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. We, we did the Pledge of Allegiance. We sang the national anthem and we followed it up with lift every voice and sing every Monday, you wow. know, our, we had murals in the hall of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and 
and Martin Luther King. Our librarian, Miss Kelly, was this beautiful uh, black woman with great big eyes. She wore dashikis and big afro, and she filled our library books, our library shelves with books about black kids and the black experience. I get that from kindergarten to sixth grade. I'm solid to the core. I'm Which is important because then you go into these other environments yeah. where you can then lose I can go and not lose myself. Yeah. 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 So we you find a way to excel in school, you're doing great, you go away to college for that first year or so and everything's great. <laughs> and then what happens? Well, so I was totally, yeah. So I'm the first one to go to college, go away to college in my family. So I don't have the resource. I don't have the um assistance of people who have gone before me. I'm basically a pioneer in this area. Uh, hindsight, I was completely unprepared. Uh, it was a financial uh, struggle for my parents to even have me there. Um, and I was just unprepared in a lot of different ways, you know, to be able to regulate my own experience, my own growth, my own learning experience um, outside of my community. And so I had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun because my parents kind of had the lockdown on me, you know, when I was back home. And so, um, yeah, totally just not focused, you know, had the intelligence to do well, but didn't. And so after two years, my parents were like, get your stuff, pack it up and come home. Like, we can't pay for this anymore. And so it's like a, you know, learning experience, came back home. And once I got back home, they were like, you're, you're for real, for real grown now. You, you need to figure it out. What are you going to do? And so I enrolled in Santa Monica City College at the time, now Santa Monica College, mm -hmm. uh, to continue my studies because I am really, truly at heart an academic. I mean, I could be in school forever. I'm constantly researching things. I just love that. Right. Love learning. And, um, yeah, went to school and had a little uh, part-time job in the evening. I worked at a nightclub in Beverly Hills, Voila. Remember Voila? I do. It used to, Voila used to be the uh, club where like all the celebrities, Prince and everybody hung out. It was, you know, at the Beverly Center in the parking lot. Great club. Um, crazy experience. Crazy experience. I, I worked there for a while and and uh, ended up, it was went back to modeling. I had done some part-time modeling. I uh, that had that had been something I had done in high school that my parents got me into because I was so shy and they just used it as a thing like for me to help build my self-esteem. And then I actually did it a little bit right here and there. I don't know. It was just it was just fun times. Met my met my uh, son's father. Baby comes along. I'm just convoluting my life because mm -hmm. that's kind of what happens. You know, you don't have. Mentors, you don't have people who are maybe even living as healthy as they should um, around you. You're kind of on your own. I'm just on my own. I'm just out there trying to figure out life and figure out what is what is adulting. You know, how do I move forward? And everything I do is trial and error. Yeah. There's no, I don't have the doctor, mother and father. I don't have the lawyer parents, you know, I don't, they don't, they, they haven't graduated from college. They don't have those necessary associations and relationships with people where they can go, Hey, you, she's floundering. Could you possibly help her or talk to her or whatever? They just don't have those resources. And that means I don't have those resources. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> thus went the journey of so me trying to figure out how do I get from here 
to there. So with Yvonne, no coach. Yvonne Napier, the brilliant young scholar from South Central LA who goes to these great schools in Brentwood and Pacific Palisades and goes away to college, has to come back because of you know booze and boys and all that stuff that you do in yep. college. Yep. Come back here, start school, and next thing you know, you're somebody's mom. I'm somebody's mama. I'm somebody's mama. That's one of those um, moments that breaks many and is really a fork in the road. Uh, if you could briefly just give us a sense of how yes. you navigated that and how we get to where you are today. Oh, my God. So my first child, I have two, as you well know, but my first child, Blade, not the brightest decision, but definitely a decision his father and I had made um, to bring him here, Right. And for me, um, you know, I write about it in the book. I talk about going to uh, Planned Parenthood to get a pregnancy test, right? And the lady goes, you know, you're pregnant. Are you going to keep the baby or not? And I said, yeah, I'm going to keep it. It was a matter of fact, you know, like, yes, yes, I'm going to keep it. And I remember when she said, okay, and walked out, <clears throat> stood there. It was a bright, sunny day. And I just stood there just looking at traffic like, oh, my God, I'm going to be somebody's mom. And that was the catalyst for my life change right there on that corner. I mean, all, you know, foolishness was like, I mean, immediately cold turkey cut off. No drinking, no partying. I'm about to be somebody's mom. The whole rest of the time was preparing for that. I was in school at the time. So I was like, okay, he's doing March. Semester ends about February. I'm going to finish this up. So I finished up my last semester pregnant as can be. Oh, <laughs> waddling from class to class. Um, but he, you know, just like you say, it was a point where there were some people who were like, this is it. She's totally blown her life. You know, of course, she's going to be what the statistics say. She's going to be a poor, single black mother on welfare, living, you know, in government housing and, and this, this and that. And I'm like, well, you must not know about me watching. And 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 for me, it wasn't so much what I wanted, but it was this baby. Like I'm accountable to this child I'm bringing in this life and I'm accountable to give him the absolute best life that I can possibly give him. Exactly. And I want to be clear about one thing because mm -hmm. you and I know each other well, and I just want to make sure mm -hmm. other people who are listening understand this single black mother, government housing. No one in this conversation is looking down on women whose plight that is. Things not happen all. in this life. Yeah, not and at we all. We all find our best way to navigate it. Yeah. But you were yeah. in a position to and had the wherewithal to make a different decision for yourself. Yes, so sorry, absolutely. 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 And it, it, and it and it wasn't a huge decision that really anybody can't make. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of how you prioritize things and how much you want it. Mm -hmm. I wanted it. I wanted it for that little boy so bad. I didn't want him to have the lifestyle that I had grown up with. You know, sometimes you learn what not to do. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of that in my mothering, um, my parenting. Um, but yeah, so so I, you know, I, if, if you if you tell me the rules of the game, I can figure out how I'm going to get through it and when. Right. And so now I've got to drop out of college. Right. OK, here we go. I've now I've got a baby. I got to drop out of college. I've got to find a real job. And what I did, which unfortunately I don't write about it, what I did was I wanted to continue to educate myself. I definitely wanted to work in advertising. That was a field I wanted to go into. I wanted to be a copywriter. Mm -hmm. And and I was smart enough to be a good admin, right? So I would make these little deals when I would go for job interviews. And I, I did it 
all, all the way working in corporate. And I would kind of go, well, I want to learn how to be a copywriter. I'm applying for the admin job because it paid well, gave me benefits, things that I needed to raise my son, right? In return, if I get the job, you will teach me how to be this. You will teach me this particular subject. And and, pe- and let me say, people really are, are, if you just ask, people really want to share what they know. Mm-hmm. People, you know, people, people love other people who want to know what they do or learn how, you know, learn what they know. And so they're very happy to show me how to do that. And so I worked for one of the top ad agencies, Daily and Associates. We had accounts like Lori Foods, Honda, Bartles and James. I mean, these boss accounts, right? And I worked with a group of 13 gentlemen who were a mix of copywriters and and um, art directors, and they taught me what they know. And I just continued to do this in every industry that I went to. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working my way up, little by little. You know, we'd go from, um, you know, moving from a so-so neighborhood to better neighborhood, to better neighborhood with more room, to, you know, now we're at a, you know, a more, you know, even more room in a better neighborhood. And it's just been this kind of maneuvering and creating strategy around what I wanted. 10 years later, here I am again. Some of us don't learn the first time. I have another baby. I'm a single mom again. Um, And it was just, it was just, you know, just more fuel for the fire. Like, okay, well, I did it this far with this one baby and now I've got two and I've got to figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to figure this thing out. I want to be happy. I I want a great life. And so I became really good at Figuring out how to get from here to here. Really good at it, you know, with creating strategies from here to here. Which and is I think the, I think that was like mm, you'd say that was the foundation of life life coaching, right? Yeah. I was just I was gonna say the same thing. That's the foundation of life coaching. You know, when people coach with me, that's one of the things that they get that maybe they don't get from other life coaches who haven't lived a life that I have lived. Mm-hmm. So I can give you practical coaching, you know, practicum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of what in theory, what we learn in, in coaching school. But in addition to that, I have all of these lessons learned working in corporate, working for some major organizations in corporate for all these years mm-hmm. in all these different kind of uh, positions and tasks. Um, and then I bring my own experience of, look, I know the way because I walk this path. I can tell you where there's a pothole. I can tell you where the bridge is going to go out. I, you know, all those things. And guess what? You don't have to do it. You get to save yourself broken legs, wasted money, wasted time. We can get you directly from here to here. Yeah. Yvonne, when did it hit you that life coaching was your path forward? When did that present itself in the form that we understand it as life coaching? When was that aha moment? Four years ago, four years ago, um, d- divine intervention, once again, wouldn't be the first time in my life. Um, I had always kind of been a coachy person. I would say that um, when I became a life coach and announced it to you know friends on Facebook and things like that, you know, I'm waiting for people to go, yay, we're so proud of you. And I got back things like, well, it's about time. Well, you've always been this. Well, don't you remember when you helped me with one time we were sitting on the cafeteria benches and you told me, I was like, what? You know, it was just crazy. Like, are you kidding me? And, you know, had always kind of been that person. Um, The last maybe 20 years of my life, I've worked in science in some capacity and uh, starting with that jet propulsion laboratory. And I worked for the astrophysicist 
And um, when the graduate postdocs would come in, graduate students would come in and the postdocs would come in, uh, they were going through a lot of life changes, right? So they've been in school all of their lives pretty much. And now they're out of school. They're an, they're a, a, an astrophysicist for NASA, basically. Jet Propulsion Laboratory is the robotics part of NASA. Mm-hmm. They're making over a hundred something thousand dollars and their life completely changes. And they're, they're, they're unsteady. They don't know, you know, they're, they're getting into their first serious relationships because they actually have time to date now, mm-hmm. you know, and buying homes or they're having young kids. And they they, they kind of got pushed over to me when they were having issues like, go to Yvonne, she'll help you figure it out. Go to Yvonne, she'll help you figure it out. And I did. And I loved it. You know, I love doing that. And that kind of followed me when I moved to North Carolina, another divine intervention, another great story. Um, and I ended up working in pharma. Same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people would come to me with different life issues going on. You know, could you help me with this? Can I talk to you about this? And so I just naturally do it. Right. But four years ago, one of those graduate students who I worked with in pharma, he was actually we've never seen each other face to face. He uh, is in England. He was part of my staff that was in England, in the UK. And Chris comes and says, Yvonne, do you like Tony Robbins? He calls me up. And I'm like, yeah, I love Tony Robbins. I follow him. I, lo- I like the things he talks about. And he goes, it's been on my mind. I'm supposed to give you this ticket to go see Tony Robbins in Newark, New Jersey. I'm like, what? Now, those tickets are expensive, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, all you have to do is just find a place to stay. Can you do it? I'm like, Newark? Newark? Like, <laughs> like he's like, yeah. hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I love y'all. I love y'all. But, um, and I ended up going and it, and it wasn't all, it wasn't all fun and games for me. Like, you know, I understand what Tony Robbins did. Tony Robbins is, we kind of coach the same way, right? He's, he gets in there, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's one of his biggest, I think at the time it was the biggest one that he did. It was like 14,000 plus people in the conference center in downtown Newark. I'm at the tip top. I am afraid of heights. Oh, <laughs> I'm, it's too many people the, the, they've got the air conditioning up blasting. It's freezing cold. He does all this for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's a four day long event. Day one, I was like, you know, they usually do the fire walk, the cold walking, fire walking after day one. I was in no headspace to do it. I was ready to go. I was like, I'm not doing this. I called my husband. Come, I don't want to get out of here. Let me out. You know, he's like, Yvonne, I think, you know, God is trying to do something with you. You really should stay. I really feel it. Chris calls from England out of nowhere. Just stay another day. I'm coming home in the morning. So morning comes and I can kind of hear this phrase I use all the time uh, that Tony Robbins kept saying the day before. And he said, my brain works for me. I don't work for it. And I was like, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, this is, this, this is, this is not me making a decision. This is something else going in you know, my subconscious, making a decision for me. We don't like being uncomfortable. We don't know these people. It's forcing us to face, you know, some fears that we don't like facing and things like that. So I ended up staying, I ended up staying the whole time. And that is really what kicked it off. I came home, some other um, uh, events happened out of the blue. Other confirmations happened out of the blue that were leading me. I mean, like an arrow, like here you are. This is this is what you're supposed to do. Um, my very comfortable job became very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. 
in a matter of a year. I mean, it had been a kind of schmoozy, nice position, comfortable place. I could have just rode that out, right? Got very uncomfortable. And I was like, I hear you. You know, so, so, so this great place that I am definitely a God girl. I am a believer, believer, believer. So God is very much a part of my daily life, you know, and, and I'm just like, I've seen you do this before. You're doing something. Mm-hmm. And, became and I just kind of, you know, yeah, took a, took a, took a dose of humble pie and, and, and listened and watched to see where he was taking me. And here we are. Now, you know, we, we've, we're still sitting in the midst of this crazy global pandemic uh, that has been made worse than I think it needed to be by our collective decision making or lack thereof. Um, but in the midst of this, those, uh, those of us who chose to take advantage of this time and just really kind of sat down and looked mm-hmm. at who we are and where we are and what we are in our lives. And I think many people uh, have found themselves to be stuck. Stuck in relationships they don't like, stuck in jobs that feel dead end, stuck in situations that don't really speak to who they are. And you've written this very, very good book called Unstuck. And I really want to you know, spend this last uh, part of this conversation really kind of unpacking that and unpacking really what life coaching is and who can benefit from it and, and what's in it for them. Um, tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and, uh, and what, what the book's about. Unstuck. So Unstuck was, is, is a book long coming. It is actually a conversation that I usually have with everyone who comes to me, like a beginning conversation, right? Um, about finding out where they are and what's going on. And I'm just having this conversation over and over and over and over. Now, life coaching is a significant investment, financial investment. Everybody's not going to be able to do it. However, I still want to be able to provide as much of that service as I can to people mm-hmm. on different levels. Right. Because I mean, wow, how much would I have benefited if I had even the unstuck book right. in the beginning to help me sift through my feelings and thoughts and, and actually see, Oh my God, I didn't even know my mind's working that way and doing this. And, you know, man, that would have been really helpful. And so I said, let me just kind of put it. We, we're, we're all going to be on the same on the same plane. We're going to start on this on the same level, right? Here's the book, and I and I and I put these these collective conversations, these thoughts, just some preliminary information that really can take your foot up out of the mud and get you moving forward again. You know, I know. You know, most of my most of my clients, that's one of the issues that they they claim when I go, "What are your problems?" I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. And I just feel stuck. Those will be the top three. Mm-hmm. I just feel stuck. It's not that they don't want something more or, you know, want to be something else or whatever it is, but they don't know how to move forward. And they've just been in whatever they've been in for so long, you know, they're stuck. And I'm like, well, let's, let's help you get unstuck because we can't do anything else until we can get that, you know, foot moving. If you could just kind of visualize that, if that foot stuck out of the mud and moving forward, you might have to leave your shoe. But you know, let's, let's, let's get you moving more. No, Sometimes yeah. you want to leave your shit, right? And, and so, um, <laughs> so yeah. And so I, you know, it finally came the time, and I just was feeling it, and I was hearing the book in my head, and I was hearing. I mean, I could just like someone was reading it to me in my head, which happens often for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I am the admin. Sometimes I am just taking dictation yeah. and writing what I hear, you know, to share that and. 
and um, had written other things that were in the computer and we kind of found them. They were all, had already been written and, and put this all together. And so I think that the book Unstuck is a great starting point um, for anyone who is looking to make any kind of significant change in their life and just feel, mm, I've been in this place too long. I just don't know how to move forward. So. I love it. Let's without giving too much of the book away. Let's let's kind of walk through some stuff that I found very interesting. I think is key for folks. Um, you outline the first five steps to to moving forward to changing your life, and in the book, and you guys have to buy the book to get into the details of these steps. But I just want to <laughs> just top line. You, you step one is to give yourself permission. Permission yes, to, to move forward, permission to change, unpack that just a little permission bit. Permission to change, me. permission to have, permission to move forward, permission to be. You know, we don't, I don't think that we are um, conscious of how we all self-regulate one another, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we self-regulate one another. And understanding primal, the, our primal brain a little better at this stage of my life, some of it's not your fault, you know. We're just kind of working on on the defaults. So you get you. Look, I'm glad you brought that up because I read this book cover to cover, and I'm gonna <laughs> read a quote from your book about that very thing you're talking about. You said that okay. uh, evolutionary psychology too suggests that humans are coded for various behavioral traits that are no different than those of our Stone Age ancestors, and that have yeah. not kept pace with our developing lifestyles. Stone, uh, such Stone Age and modern age behavior may include risk aversion. That would be me. Well, not all the time, actually. I, I take me risk, sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> stereotyping. Absolutely. Commitment to community, which is important, but you can commit to community in such a way that it becomes toxic because you're not spending any time committing to yes. yourself. I get that. Yes. Overconfidence. I'm a man. I'm a Leo. I'm definitely guilty of that <laughs> from time to time. Uh, instituting a hierarchy is one I want to unpack. Yeah. And then bartering, um, bartering and gossip. Those yeah. are stone age psychological stone age in your head. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that, that's interesting. So it, you know, we won't have time to go through all of it, but let's let's talk about this commitment to community and how important it is for a society, but how it can turn to something that's detrimental if you're not careful. Yes. And so that's a good one. I love, I love talking about the tribe and and the tribe is such a a now word, right? Everybody's Mm -hmm. talking about their tribe. So we are naturally coded with, um, you know, to be, to to exist in tribes. Mm -hmm. So, So now we're so far from that. Now it's this whole, you know, over the top individualistic type of belief, right? It's just me, like you said, I, I, me, mine, my, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's so far from your primal coding. We're, we're, we're actually uh, wired to, to exist in tribes and maybe sometime multiple tribes, but definitely one tribe. That's how we survived, you know? And so you think when you start to think about life, you know, as a tribe, as a tribe of people, you shared resources, you shared uh, housekeeping duties, you shared getting food, you shared, you know, watching the kids. And it was, it was all, you know, we all have our duties that we do. You do not, um, you know, you deciding I want to go find myself might mean you getting killed or jeopardizing the tribe. And so what am I going to do when you're trying to be an individual? 
I'm going to pull you back into your position, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're putting us all at risk. Because you're the one that gets berries for us every day. And if you're not here, who's going to get the berries? Or you're one of the warriors who protects the tribe. And if you leave to go find your fancy, who's going to protect us? So understanding that this is going on in the back of your head, right? This allowed me to give a lot of people, show a lot of people grace, you know, when Mm -hmm. I, when I understood this concept. So there are times when, let's put it this way, you decide I'm going to start a podcast, right? I'm going to start a coaching business. And there's always a part of the tribe that's like, what are you doing? You need to keep that good job. You've got a good job. Why are you going to leave that job? And, oh, this is just them acting crazy. You know how they're doing. And they don't even realize what they're doing. They don't even really, I don't think it's that they don't want you to get ahead and do better or to, you know, have the things that you want. But the primal thinking is like, oh my God, they're, they're going to risk their life and they're going to risk the, you know, safety and the fortitude of the tribe. You know, that's powerful. That's powerful because quite often it's coming from a very loving space. They're concerned about you. They're worried about you. They don't want you to give up that good job and possibly end up homeless or in trouble. They want you to protect. But it's also often selfish. Well, if you leave that good job, then you can't send this money home to us or help your sister with her kids or all that stuff. It's particularly and particularly for people that live in communities are already economically challenged. Uh, I think that's tough for us as quite often, not just African-Americans, but maybe some of our Latino brothers and sisters. If you're the first college graduate, the first wage earner, the first person to make strike it rich in entertainment or whatever, then it's kind of your default reality that you're supposed to take care of everybody else. And that limits your ability to grow. Yeah. But in the same respect, where it becomes toxic is that you're not recognizing my right to exist and to live as I want to. You know, you're only looking at me as a member of a tribe, of a whole, not recognizing my own personal individuality and my own, you know, personal journey. And so a lot of journeys get snipped right off. You know, because of this behavior, you notice how people never seem to move more than maybe 30 minutes to an hour from where they were raised. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and those know. of us who do, we both did it. Right. Yeah. And those of us who do, everyone's like, what are you doing across the country? Are you kidding? He'll be, he'll yeah. be, he'll be back. Not, not thinking of, of, of there were, more, there was more opportunity for us, mm-hmm. you know, where we were going, it was a better lifestyle, perhaps where we were going there, were, you know, whatever it is, whatever the reason was why we left, but it was just this whole tribal behavior that is so unconscious, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so that's, I think where it becomes toxic or families who, who um, are a little bit into a little bit more into whom you uh, marry date like well if they don't look like this if they don't speak this language if they don't believe in this god then no because those were threats when you're looking at your primal mm-hmm. mind right we don't know the other tribe over there we don't know those people you you stay here with us you marry people who are within this you know 30 to 45 minute circle yeah. we know them we might know some of them and you're safe and we're safe 
It's fascinating. Yeah. And so, our beliefs are safe. How about that? Our beliefs, beliefs are safe. Which in many ways define who you are as a tribe and as an individual within that tribe. That's so, right. So you've got these these Stone Age evolutionary psychology keys going off in your head. And but somehow along the way in your life and in the training that you've been subjected to and endured and survived, you've come up with these five steps that help us to start to be able to confidently step away from those things and into our possibility. Was that yeah. would that be an uh, accurate? Yes. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What is you know how did you come to these five steps? Where was that something you learned in school? Is that something that your life has taught you? Some combination of the two. So here's a brilliant thing about being a writer. I have been journaling since I was a wee little kid and I have all the journals. Right. And so it's what I love about journaling is that one day you can be writing about how the sky is falling and this is the end and I'll never make it out of this. And then it goes to act three, two weeks later. And it's like, and she survived and everything was okay and whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow. And so if you go back to your journals, you'll see how you went through these things. And for me, so going back to being academically gifted, one of the one of the um, identifiable traits of that some gifted kids have is that of seeing patterns easily. And so I see patterns very easily. I can I can look at a situation. So I'm like, oh, you keep doing this and this and this and this over, and mm-hmm. you got that, you know. And so I I think with just this natural ability, I was able to take those writings, look at those writings, and go, well, how did I get from there to there? Well, how did I get from there to there and see that, oh, I did this, this and this, and then look at it again and go, oh, my God, I did the same thing, this, this and this and saw where, oh, I keep doing this. And then taking those beliefs, you know, putting them into some sort of framework and leading my clients and saying, well, does it work on somebody else? Was it just me or would it work on somebody else? And seeing the same thing, walking them through the same sex. Bam, they got it. Let's try it again. Same steps. Bam, they got it. You know, enough times so I'm like, oh, this works. You know, this works. And so it just kind of really kind of came about that way. You know, it was just the same things. Me seeing people were doing the same things over and over and over to at least get that phase. That's that's phase one of my overall best life blueprint. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's phase one. But those five steps, everybody had to go through the first five steps in some shape or form. And so it's like, well, here, let me get you through the first five steps. If you if you don't proceed with the other two phases, you know, at least, you know, you're not stuck mm-hmm. unless you want to be. Yeah, And those first five steps are important because they get you off the sofa and, and really into the game. You know, they do. I, I want to talk a little bit about who can benefit from therapy, and particularly, again, in this moment that we're in. I, I know so many of my listeners, so many people I know personally are just in this space in their life where watching the Trump administration, watching the pandemic and our reaction to it and being at whatever space in their life they're in. They're really looking for a way to move forward. Um, you know, I'm curious about who is the kind of person that can benefit from uh, life coaching uh, and also, you know, what some of the thought patterns that we need to help people kind of break and unpack to to show them the potential in it. I know in the book, you mentioned some interesting phrases and a handful jumped out at me. And I think they kind of get to the answer to the question I'm asking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm going to drop some of those phrases that you wrote 
and uh, okay. get your response to them and, and use this as an opportunity to help people kind of gauge where they are in their journey and to understand the potential that exists inside them. Uh, so one okay. of the phrases uh, that you mentioned is you say it's never too late to change. Just top line, unpack that for folks. Oh, child. Absolutely. So, look, this is kind of crazy coming from a family who suffers with addiction, you know, <laughs> and, and several of them who have been through 12 step programs. One of the one of the uh, phrases in a 12 step program um, that they talk about is change your mind, change your life. Mm-hmm. And really, it is that simple. We convolute things. We think it's a whole big, you know, giant thing that you have to do. I mean, you know, today you, you could be a cheese eater and then you could go, I'm, I don't I don't want to eat cheese anymore. I don't think cheese is good. And now you're not a cheese eater. You know, <laughs> today you can you can uh, um, dislike a race of people. And just in a second, you can go, you know what, that that reeks. I'm not going to be that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Pivot and turn in a totally different direction, which gives you a totally different life. And so, I, you know, it's sometimes I think I think a lot of people who have coached with me or even a couple of people who've read the book, they're like, you know what? It seems it, it seems so, you know, insurmountable when you look at it. They're like, it really is kind of simple. I'm like, it really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. And all you have to do is just change the way you think about something, change your perspective on something. And you could do it in a second. It doesn't require anything else but you and your yeah. thoughts. But that's another example of an area where for different types of people, a coach, accountability partner, somebody in your life to help you could be helpful and necessary because they may not be the kind of person that sees patterns the way you see patterns or the way well, I've true. learned to uh, see patterns. So you listening with an objective ear can point out the patterns for them. They have the ha ha moment and that might be the thing that works for them, a particular and, and type that of person. Might be it. I don't know how you are, but personally in my life, my my small circle of friends, the handful of friends, Mm -hmm. right, are people who have always held my feet to the carpet. I I just prefer those type of relationships where they're close relationships. And so you would think that they're enabled to be objective. Right. But these individuals still had the ability to stand back a little further from me and and call me on some things that needed, I need to be called on, right? Because they love me, right. you know? But I, I've noticed that a lot of people don't don't circle themselves with those type of people. They 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 have a, 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 the fan club, you know? Right. And neither it's one like, of us, yeah. neither one of us are therapists, but I would imagine you surround yourself with the kind of people who speak to who you are. There's something in you that not only is comfortable with surrounding yourself with those kinds of people, but you're... Yes secure enough or just secure enough uh, to be fine with uh, being surrounded by those kind of people who can be helpful. Well, that I way think for I've you. learned. Mm-hmm. I think I've learned along the way. You know, I mean, some of these people I've been friends with since seventh grade. Right. And we've always been that person to one another. We were more committed to one another's growth and happiness and well-being than we were committed to being a yes person or the fan club. I just don't think it was just the heart of any of us, you know, and so we are not afraid to have the difficult conversation. So for me, I'm lucky enough to have grown up with those types of people around me as far as my friendships. Right. Mm-hmm. And then get to a place where I was conscious enough to go, oh, I actually prefer those type of people than to people who are just going, yeah, date that crummy guy. <laughs> yeah. 
you know. <laughs> Un- understood. Uh, Spend I- all your bill money. You know, I don't, I, you know, I just don't, I'm not that kind of person and I prefer, you know, not to have those kind of people around me. So it's very, it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful to my life. Another one of uh, the phrases that you mentioned in the book is no one is coming to save you. Did you like that story? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, re- I resemble that story and I kind of resent that story, but it's absolutely the case because we've all been brainwashed by these imagery and fairy tales and, and pop culture. You know, Prince Charming is going to come and save the damsel yes. in distress and they're going to live happily ever after. And yes, the Calvary is going to come over the hill and save you. And that, that's just not most people's life experiences. Talk, not gonna uh, quickly, top line, unpack. Okay. No one is coming to save you. No one is coming to save you. So those are fairy tales and stories, but they are fairy tales and stories that affect our thinking, especially thinking how often you hear fairy tales and stories or the same one over and over and again, right? So it's programming your subconscious mind to believe that this is how it goes, right? Those are stories. Um, you are the only one that can save yourself and you are quite capable of saving yourself. You have everything that you need. Now, if, if I may, uh, yeah, pastor, drop a little bit of my, my the pastor in me mm-hmm. says Jesus is gonna save us too, but we'll we'll talk about that in the context of this. I get what you say. So 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 that's so that's what I'm saying. Um, so God lives in you. Mm-hmm. Jesus left and said, "I'm sending the Comforter to you." The Comforter lives within you. He said, "You can do everything through Christ Jesus," and I honestly am foolish enough to believe that. So if 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 I have the help of sent by God Almighty, who else do I need? Mm-hmm. What else is there? You know, the source of all things, however you want to re- defer to him. I allow everybody to defer to him however they want to. The source of all things has sent the Holy Spirit to live within me, to help me to do everything, to be everything, to experience everything that I desire. I'm the block, you know. What else do I need? And so, you know, you don't need anything else. God's already saved you. He doesn't have to come resave you. Mm-hmm. You just need to work the agenda, right? You need to you need to pull pull up the resources He's already given you. Right. You have it all in here. And so that's, that's and, that's and sometimes that's that's hard. That's a hard, you know, piece of pie to eat, right? To mm-hmm. to go, wow, I've been, you know, depending on how your life is. I tell people. So if your life has been going, you know, peach king, then you're like, yeah, that's right. You know, I can, I have all the resources and I've, you know, with God's help created this wonderful life. Right. But if your life isn't going so swell, then it's like, I created all this. It's like, yeah, this is you. Mm-hmm. This is you. You know, that's, that's the whole, the whole Adam and Eve story. It's a free will. It's, I love you enough to not make you do anything. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to allow you to love me back if you want to. I'm going to allow you to follow me if you want to. I'm not here to browbeat you. And that goes back to understanding and seeing patterns because at the, at the end of the day, we are the architects of our own lives and the choices that we make. You may not have chosen to be born into poverty or born, or you may not have chosen to be an accident that has you lose a limb, but you always get to choose 
how you respond to the circumstances and moments in your lives. And those choices create your life, the reality that you live in and the, the experiences uh, that, that you have. That's 100% correct. 100% correct. I think the last phrase, and there are many in this book that I really like, but the other one that you ask is a, is a question. Why not you? I'm going to tell you a real quick story about that. Mm-hmm. I had a, a statistician work with um, at, at GlaxoSmithKline, and we would talk intimately sometime, right? He had a, he had a, he had a, a, a P, you know, wonderful position. You would think, why aren't you satisfied with this? But it was something inside of him. It was like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm very, you know, ill at ease with this. And, and I would go in his office and we would talk. And one day I was standing there. He had a giant whiteboard, as they all do. And it just popped in my head. Like, why not you? Like, why can't you live the life that you want to live? Why can't you be whatever you want to? He had a real affinity for teaching. He was very passionate about teaching. Um, and so I wrote it on his board and I just put, why not you left out of the office? That was, that was it. He never erased it off the board. He said he would look at it every day when he would come in. And he just, it was just at the corner of his board at the top. He comes to me one day. He goes, Yvonne, I said, what? He goes, I turn in my resignation. I'm going to become a professor teaching statistics at uh, North Carolina State University. He was so happy. He was so happy. We think that like greatness or all these other things, that, that happens to other people, right? Not to me. And you and I easily could have looked at life that way mm-hmm. and go, well, that's not for people that live where we live or people with our economic standing or people with our skin color or, you know, whatever it is about us. Um, that's for those people, because that's all you see. It's for you, too. And once you get that in your core, and you understand that in your core. Oh, church is out. Things change. Things change. Then the world just opens up. And I think that's kind of what God is waiting for. That's profoundly, profoundly powerful. Um, so much so that I think we should just state it again clearly for those of you listening that, that sister who's going through a tough time right now, uh, yes. that brother who's trying to figure out who he or he is, that non-gender conforming person who thinks, oh my God, I was born into this wrong body and everyone hates me because I don't know, uh, they don't understand how I am, who I am, but I have this dream. For everybody who's listening to this, ask yourself this question. Why not you? Why not you? You deserve it. You have the power to create it in your life. God's got you. You can be whatever it is you were brought here to be. That's that, right. That, that's, that's right. I think powerful. that's. I think that I think that's part. I think that's part of our human journey mm-hmm. is to you know is to come back to that place of finding who you are you know and just being real. I mean, God loves us all. We're all His kids. I don't love one kid over another kid. You know, one's got curly hair, one's got kinky hair, one's tall, one's skinny. I don't I don't love either one of them, you know, any less than the other. And God doesn't love any of us any less than other. And I refuse to let anybody make me believe that. But I do think that he wants us to come here and to grow and to evolve and expand into a higher consciousness. It brings you closer to him, you know. Because he's seeking to reconcile us all back to him, right? That's mm-hmm. his whole thing. Mm-hmm. I want, I want, I want my babies back. Yeah. I want, to, I want, to, I want them to grow enough where we can have a relationship again. Yeah, I mean, and, and I tell you, these walks require God. They all require these God. journeys. These journeys require God, you know. And so, 
you know, and, and, and at the very least, I hope that somebody, maybe, maybe they'll read the book and find God. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll read the book and find God. He's everywhere. Including inside each and every one of us. Um, and that's, that's why the podcast exists. I mean, for that reason, I think that the world is uh, sitting the way where it's sitting and the way it's sitting because so many of us do not embrace and love our authentic selves as the creations yeah. of God that we are. And once you do that, then it really alleviates the need or the temptation for you to seek to feel better about who you are by diminishing other people. If you know who you are as a creation of God, if you know who you are as a man, a woman, a non-gender conforming person, as a mother, a teacher, a brother, a sister, an uncle, or husband, if you know who you are at your core as those things, then you don't have time or the temptation to diminish other people just to make yourself feel better. Child, no. Because you already feel good about who you are based on, on the good. authentic understanding of that. Um, you wrote this other quote in the book from Lisa Nichols, which I thought was really powerful. And I want to I want to end our conversation here, but I, I want to get your thoughts about something. One of the quotes okay. you said uh, was sometimes you have to be willing to let go of something old to grab on to something new. You have to be willing to let part of you die that you used to be comfortable with in order for another part of you to be born. And that is from Lisa Nichols. And I I think it's a beautiful quote. I think it's one, first of all, it should be dedicated to the United States of America itself and printed on billboards. (laughs) Let go of the old, let go of the lie that you told the world. The world. Own who we have been and how we got to where we are. But then latch on to that new thing and, and, and move forward. Right. Yvonne, why was that quote so powerful to you personally that you included it in the book? And in answering this, if you could leave us in the audience with a thought about how to move forward from this moment we're in and how somebody like you could be of help to them. Oh, gosh. Um, first, I'm, I'm just an avid fan of Lisa Nichols. Lisa comes from the neighborhood where we're from. Mm-hmm. Also, she's as we have a lot of shared experiences. Um, but I thought that that was so clue because it doesn't matter. Well, I will tell you um, through physics. Here we go. Because I am kind of a science nerd girl, right? You have to have the space for something new to come into. Mm-hmm. You can't pour new wine into the old bag, right? You've got to create a vacuum. You've got to create a vacuum for the new. So if you're holding on, if you, if even if you're saying, "I want to, I want a new me," right? You got to be willing to release the old you. And there is definitely an old me. There is actually a defining point in my life where she was left behind, and a new creature was born. Um, probably several points, but there's one definitive line that I know, and that would be um, my migration from Los Angeles to North Carolina to really start a whole brand new life. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was willing to leave that behind, those things were comfortable. Even the dysfunctional things were comfortable, right? Which is crazy, but it is. A lot of us are very comfortable in a lot of our dysfunctions and things that don't work for us, but we know this, we don't know that. Mm-hmm. And and I just think that it's such a, a key point to, to, um, to turning around your life, you know, to transforming your life, be willing to leave some of the old stuff behind. Be willing to create a vacuum where there's just emptiness um, so that the new beautiful thing can come in. And whether that means, hey, I want a I want a loving, you know, partner in life. Well, are you willing to let go of plan B, C, D and E that you keep on the side? 
and just let there be space, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Are you old, old bad behavior? You know, the aggressiveness that a lot of us who live in cities have, you know, are you willing to drop that in a basket over here so that you can end up being a, a wonderful, peaceful, graceful, merciful individual? You know, and, and I think and I, I love that you say it, you know, yeah, it definitely needs to be the billboard for the whole United States of America, you know, and we can all embrace embrace that right now. It's right now. You know, mm-hmm. um, whether you whether you're using a life coach or, or not, but just being aware that, hey, yeah, I'm carrying a lot of this around. My plate is so full. My handbag so full of junk. I can't get any kind of new blessing to come in it at all. You know. Like make space. How about taking all the stuff we feel about other people? Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're. Well, I don't like them because they're this culture and they're this race or they they're attracted to this type of individual or how about rooting that up so that you can let the love pour in so that you can honestly love these people for exactly who they are. Take inventory of what you're carrying. Take the things you don't need and put them to the side and leave space to fill it with something new. Fill it with something new. Well, Yvonne, Victor, I want to thank you for joining me today. I want you Love to it. do a couple of things, though, before we go. I want you to tell uh-huh. people the name of the book again, where they can find it and when they can find it, and uh, drop your, your contact information, social media, whatever it is you want to share for those who might be listening and be interested in your services going forward. Absolutely. So my first book, Unstuck, The First Five Steps to Living Your Best Life, will be dropping the first week of September. You can... Um, Find it on, uh, there'll be a link to it on my website. My website is uh, YvonneVictor.com, easy peasy. Uh, there'll be something very big and bright. You'll see it that'll allow you to click and buy your copy of the book. Um, so you can get started immediately too. It's a PDF. So we want you to get started immediately. Um, you can always find me on Facebook. I'm Yvonne Victor Life Coach. Instagram, same thing, Yvonne Victor Life Coach. Um, or you can contact me um, through Ricky. Ricky knows where to find me. <laughs> I do. I know where the bodies are buried, too. Yes, um, yes, 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 yes. Yvonne Victor, not only an amazing sister and a good friend, but actually a very talented author and life coach. Thank you, I, both I and my producer, my new producer, uh, Matthew Guthrie, both read the book and we, we love the book and uh, it oh, really it God. fed us. Um, so and it's really accessible for those of you who haven't read it or don't like to read. Yes. It's a short read. It's a quick yes. read. And it's a read. It's written in such a way that everybody can not only comprehend and understand it, but really kind of dig into it. And and start to do the work that they need to do. So once again, Yvonne Victor, you can follow her on social media and go to her website, YvonneVictor.com to pick up the book. Yvonne, thank you for joining us today and continue to have a wonderful, wonderful day, wonderful life and keep blessing us with these gems. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, Looking forward to just hearing the stories that come from people reading the book. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Yvonne Victor, y'all. Thank you again, Yvonne, for joining us on the podcast this week. Yo, I hope you guys were inspired by that conversation and you learned a few things along the way. I know I certainly did. First of all, I understand a little bit more about what life coaching actually is and its potential value and benefit in our lives. I also think uh, it's important for us to remember the power that God dropped in us when God gave us free will and choice. Life's full of ups and downs, good decisions and bad decisions, good days and bad days. But the fact of the matter is no matter what happens in life, we have the ultimate control of how we feel about it because we get to choose how we react to a tragedy, choose how we react to a bad moment or a bad decision. We get to choose how we react to oppression or a pushy, obnoxious boss. We have the ultimate power to create the life we want to live through the choices that we make. Many of us don't like to hear it, but when you look back and then you look forward to the moment that you're in, quite often you will see the reflection in the mirror is the choices that you made to get to the moment that you're sitting in right now. Now, that's not to say that we choose to have tragic things happen to us, but it does mean that we get to choose how we react to those things and chart our way forward. Yvonne is also a reminder of the power of community. None of us exist alone. None of us have to go through all these things that we experience in life by ourselves. We have a creator who loves us and cares for us. We have a community, a family of human beings, many of whom are loving, believe it or not. Even in these times, it's hard to believe it, but there are many loving, kind souls who may not know you from Adam or Eve or Steve or Cassandra, but they will still love you and be there for you. There are professionals who can help you when you need their assistance. If you're sick, you go to a doctor. If you have some mental challenges, you go to therapy. If you have spiritual challenges, you see your pastor. And if you have life challenges and decisions that you can't make on your own and you don't have a family or a friend who can help you, then consider a life coach, somebody to help you look at the situations objectively and make sound, non-emotional decisions that can change the course of your life forever. I also want to call out something really important to my heart right now. Yvonne is a reminder of something else. She's a reminder of the power, the resilience, the brilliance, and the profound love that is black women. She made a way out of no way, made new choices, and created a future not only for herself, but for her children and her family. She's a reminder of how wonderful and amazing black women are. And I know well, because I was raised by two of the most loving and powerful and strong and kind black women I know. That does not discount other women or other people. Don't give me that all women matter, all that crap. I decided to call out black women right now because they're so often overlooked and underappreciated, but always, always in my mind, deserving of the attention, the glory, and the love. Thank you, sisters. I love y'all and I appreciate you. 
Well, y'all, I appreciate you too. All right. It has been an amazing week, an amazing episode. And uh, I hope that you will go on and have an amazing day. I hope that you will go on and have an amazing week. And let's finish this year on a high note. We got a few months to go, but let's knock it out in grand style and make the best of these challenging times and these crazy situations. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. So watch the social media for more updates. It's nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and Twitter. It's Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y on Instagram and Twitter. And please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast positively. Those ratings, those reviews, if they come in in the hundreds or the thousands, those make a difference. And we may even get featured in new and noteworthy and get more eyeballs and more ears on the podcast. And we can continue to grow our little community and continue to work together to change this world one conversation at a time. Have an amazing week. Have an amazing day. And know that even if you don't know me, Personally, I mean what I'm about to say. I mean this. I love you. Seriously. I do. You're a reflection of me as I am a reflection of you. Have a beautiful week. Be well, y'all.